So this morning, before the first service, it was um, mighty chilly in this place. That's over. Like, that kind of worship, like, gets the blood going a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, so I remember, church, I remember when I was a little boy, uh, my dad took me snipe hunting. Yeah, so some of you, how many of you have been snipe hunting before? Yep, some of you, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, so let me catch you up with what happened. So my dad, I was a little bitty boy, and dad said, son, we're going to go snipe hunting. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, it's this mythical creature. I didn't know what the word mythical meant. So he's like, we're going to go find this mythical creature, and it's going to be so fun. So you're going to take this large bag. I'm sure it was a pillowcase, like probably a little pillowcase at that. But I was a little boy, so it was this big bag in my head, right? And he's like, and then we're going to go outside to the woods. Probably was just the backyard. But in my head, we were going into the deep, dark forest, right? And he's like, son, you're going to stand here with this bag. Now get ready. Time out. If your mom or your dad or a friend or a relative has said they're going to take you snipe hunting, your experience will probably be so much different than my experience. Like, this is just what happened to me. So, like, you should go and have fun. It'll be a great time. What could possibly go wrong? Time in. Here's what happened to me. So, I'm standing there as a little boy. Like, it's dark, and I think I'm in the woods. I'm just in the backyard, I'm sure, you know, but I'm standing there, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And you know what I realize? My dad was tricking me. Like, that's what I realized. Like, there was no snipe going to come running my way that I was supposed to get with my bag and hold it closed. Like, that one, he was in the house watching TV. Like, he was, he was off. He was not in this story at all. So it just reminds me of how so many people view faith. That's what it reminds me of. In fact, I think a lot of people will look at faith, and they would say that faith means believing absolutely in something with no proof at all. Let me say that again in case you missed it. I think there's a lot of people who would say that faith is believing absolutely in something with no proof at all, which then puts us in a very awkward position, doesn't it? Because we live in a culture that highly values proof and evidence and hard, cold facts, right? We live in that culture. And so if we approach faith with this kind of a posture, it puts us in a very weird spot. So again, good morning, everyone. I am Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor here at Woodside Romeo. And today we are starting a brand new sermon series based off of Hebrews chapter 11. Take your Bibles and open up there now. Hebrews chapter 11. The name of the series is A Better Life, The Race of Faith Toward the Promise of God. And I got to tell you, I'm fired up about this series for a few reasons. Like I'm fired up about this series because here at Woodside Romeo, we have a very long history of biblical faith. And that biblical faith has made an impact here within our community, hasn't it? I would argue that it's made an impact all around Southeast Michigan and even to the ends of the earth. You see, from the early, early days of this church, we were sending missionaries who were going with this biblical faith. But if we're going to continue that trajectory... If we're going to continue this journey of being a church that's known for our biblical faith, then you and I, we kind of need to be in agreement of what that means, don't we? We need to be in agreement of what biblical faith is. Hebrews 10, 39 says this. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Again, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. This is actually the verse right before Hebrews 11. The writer of Hebrews, again, time out. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. 
You know, some, some theologians think it's Paul, some think it's Apollos. There's a handful of other individuals and people will debate who wrote it. That's not what this series is going to be about at all. But just know we don't know who wrote Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews wrote really chapter 11, I would argue most of Hebrews, with this culture in the first century of Christians who are struggling with their faith. It was a group of people struggling with what they believed in. Most of them were coming out of a Judaism context. They were coming from a Jewish background, entering into Christianity. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, no matter what hardships you face, don't let your faith be shaken because Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the Old Testament tabernacle. Jesus is greater. And so the question for us today, the question I want you to wrestle with really throughout this series, but specifically today, are you struggling in your faith? Are you personally struggling in your faith? Because here's what I think happens. I think we go to high school, we go to college, and somewhere along the way, there's a teacher, there's a professor, and they start to poke holes at the foundation of the Christian faith. Now, some of you knew how to argue against what that person said, but you thought to yourself sitting there at that desk, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Like, if I do that, I'm putting a target on my back. I guess me against that really smart teacher professor for the rest of the year, and I just, I'm not interested in that. Some of you, you didn't know what to say. So you sat there, in fact, you got to the point of thinking, well, maybe what they're saying is true, or someone would have told me by now. Some of you, you're, you're, you're thinkers. Some of you, you think so much that you've never come to a biblical foundation of who Jesus is. You don't have faith yet. And then there's others in this room that right now, you're killing it. Like, you're going like, I'm doing great. Like, thanks, Pastor, but my faith is strong right now. I really am in a good place. I'm, I'm reading the Bible like I'm supposed to. I'm doing my devotions. I'm being faithful in what God is calling me to. Like, I'm really... And my faith is strong right now. I'm doing good. But here's, here's the truth. Even if that's you, you know someone who's struggling in their faith, don't you? And so what I love about this series is it's an all play. Anyone who comes through those doors throughout this entire series, what they're going to find is they're going to find teaching that applies to you today. Like you're going to find the teaching that applies to you today. And so today we're going to look at three things when it comes to biblical faith, first of all, we're going to look at how you should know your faith, then how you should be known for your faith, and we're going to finish by looking at how we should reason by faith. First, know your faith. Look at Hebrews 11.1 1 in your Bible. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith, faith is all about looking forward to good things, right? Like, I don't look forward to bad things, do you? Like, so when we're looking for things hoped for, I don't hope for a broken garage door. I don't hope for my door to do this, like, instead of just, like, normal, like it's supposed to do, it just did that, and then you got to get a new garage door, which happened to me this week. Like, it was a rough week. Like, that does happen. I don't hope for that, though, do you? You don't hope for these things. We hope for good things. We hope for great things. We hope to see God do something that we can't explain. 
Let me, let me give you an illustration. I think this will help. Back in the mid-90s, Amy and I were both school teachers. She's still a school teacher, but we were both school teachers at the time. Then in about 1999, our family's salary and income, it got chopped in half at that point. Because you see, I didn't have a biblical education. I didn't have a foundation. And so our family, we packed up everything at the end of 99, right at the beginning of 2000. And we moved to Texas so that I could go to seminary. A seminary is graduate school for pastor types, right? That's what seminary is. And um, here's what's incredible is as we were doing this, again, we chopped off our income. We packed up our kid, packed up our house. And we just said, you know, we're, we believe the Lord is calling us to do this. We're hoping for great things. Here's what did not happen. Bill Gates did not call me up and say, Billy, I believe in what you're doing. Like I do. I believe in it so strong. I'm going to pay for you to have a house while you're there. I'm going to pay for you to have a car. I'm going to pay for you to have another child since you're going to have one anyway. You know, I'm going to pay for that child. I'm going to give you a shiny boat so that you can drive around the weekend. You'll love that boat. You know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pay for your seminary education. I'm going to pay for, for your grad school. I'm going to pay for all that. And I'll probably give a parting gift for when you're finished so that you can start your ministry. That did not happen, just so you know. It didn't happen. And yet, fast forward to 2003. In 2003, there was so much joy in our lives because what we saw is not only did we not have any debt from all of seminary, we had actually paid off debt while we were in school. Not only that, we did have that other child. And we got to see, you know, we're, we're moving down here to trust the Lord. He keeps flying open these doors for this to happen. We're trusting the Lord through this journey. And then we got to celebrate what the Lord had done. It really reminds me of Hebrews 13, 5 that says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, it was hard. I don't want to stand up here and act like, man, grad school, that was easy. You know, we just breeze right through, no problem. There were no, no, it was hard. There were obstacles. There were challenges, but I got to see the Lord shine in a way that I had never seen before. We got to experience his grace in a very unique way. So let me ask you something. When you move forward, toward the future, what's your posture? Like, do you walk into the future saying, all right, here we go. Something's probably going to go wrong. Like, I mean, graduate is going to break. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to get sick probably. That's probably going to get strep throat. Like, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be, is that what you do? Like, is, is that how you approach it? Or do you approach saying, no, I'm trusting that God is going to bring good things? How, and I'm not talking about are you an optimist or a pessimist. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about where's your faith in the Lord? I'm not naive. I know that sometimes people get sick. Sometimes there's loss. There's job loss. Sometimes people get so sick they die. Sometimes there's disappointments, right? I'm, I'm real. Like, I know bad things happen in life. Garage doors really do break. But let's go back to Romans 8. In Romans 8, what does it say? It says that all things, he's taking all things and working together for good. All things, church. Not some things, not most things. All things. And so that's that place where you get to say, Lord, I'm looking forward in the future and I'm trusting you for good things. I'm aching for good things. And even this trial that I'm going through, even this hard thing that I'm going through, Lord, I can't wait to see how you use it for good because I know you're going to because that's you. That's what you do. I have faith. I'm trusting in that. And then let's keep moving forward. What does it say? It says, not only is biblical faith about the assurance of the good things in the future, but it's also about the conviction of things unseen. The conviction 
of things unseen. This is not two ways to say the same thing. These are separate things. The things unseen, those are things in the realm of God. Those are God things. We don't see those. Like, like this podium, right? This podium, this podium was here when I got here in December of 2017. Some of you remember that Sunday, right? It was my first Sunday, and I stood right here behind this podium. In January of 2017, I had never seen this podium before, right? This podium and I had never met, and yet God knew, didn't he? God knew even January of 2017 that I would be standing behind that podium. In fact, January 2017 BC, that would be 4,034 years ago. I actually totaled that up. 4,034 years ago, 4,034 years ago, church, God knew. He knew not only would I be standing behind that podium today, but that you would be here. You're here by a divine appointment. I want you to know that. Come with eyes wide open. Don't miss this. God has a reason for you being here today. Don't miss it. Like, this is where you get to come with an open heart, just saying, Lord, I'm here for a reason. Will you show me? Will you teach me? Like, I, my ears are open, and I'm listening to things unseen. It's not just podiums, though, is it? It's people. Like, I look at my youngest son. He was born November 5th, 2002. If I back that up to November 5th, 1998, Gabe Creech did not exist. Ian did, like Ian had already been born, but Gabe hadn't. And yet, November 5th, 1998, God knew that Gabe was going to come, didn't he? He knew his name. He knew how many hairs would be on his head. He knew the plans that he had for my son, plans to prosper him and not to harm him. And I think sometimes we miss that, that there is this unseen part of God, this part that biblical faith demands. We trust that. We trust that there is this unseen, this conviction, that there is this, this unseen, things unseen, the realm of God. And so you take those two. You take the things that we hope for in the future. You take the things unseen, and you collide them together. And you know what you get? You get the future reality of God. And that brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that faith links God's future reality with us today. Faith links God's future reality with us today. That's really what Hebrews 11 is all about. That's what's driving Hebrews 11. It's this calling of who you and I are supposed to be. Let's move to the next point. Be known for your faith. Look at verse 2. Verse, all that just to get through one verse. Verse 2 says this. It says, for by it, it's meaning faith, right? We've been talking about faith. It is talking specifically about faith. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. There you have it. Those two verses, verses one and verses two, that really sets up what all the rest of chapter 11 is going to be about. So if you can really wrap your mind and your hands around verse one and two, that sets it up for all of the rest of chapter 11. But look what he says. He says, for by faith, the people of old, meaning those in the Old Testament, they receive their commendations, what they're known for. The Old Testament, think through all your heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, all the men and women of the Old Testament. They're known for so many things, aren't they? Known for their character. They're known for their giftedness. They're known just because of the occasion. Like if I want to talk about character, I could talk about someone like Joseph, couldn't I? Joseph had so much self-control, so much character, like who he was as a meant so much. You could talk about giftedness and talk about King David. Right now, King David, he was gifted. He was just, uh, gifted artistically. 
musically, militarily, his leadership. He was just gifted. Occasion, we could talk about Joshua. Right? Joshua was just in the right place at the right time. And what did he do? Moses died, and Joshua picked up the banner and said, follow me, I'll take you into the promised land. And, and what I love is even though, yeah, you have character and you have giftedness, you have occasion, you have all those things, church, that's not really what they're known for. The Bible tells us they're known because they're faith. That's why they're known. They're known because they're faith. And so I look out across this room, and I know that sometimes we have struggles, don't we? And so we look at the people of the Old Testament, and we think, well, I certainly don't have occasion. That's what we think. Like, I, I'm never in the right place at the right time. It's always the person, like, right before me who wins the truck. You know, I never win the truck. And I don't win the lottery. I've never played the lottery, you know, but I've never won the lottery, and I should win. the. If you do win the lottery, you can share. Like, it's going to be great. We'll both enjoy it together. You know, we'll have a fun time. But some of you are like, occasion, I'm just not that person. I always just miss the promotion. I always just miss this. I always just miss that. I, I'm never the occasion person. Some of you, when it comes to giftedness, you're like, I'm tone deaf. I'm not like David. You know, David was artistic and could sing and could be military. I'm not. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't like kids. I can't work with kids. I, I can't get up here with Kip because I don't know anything about music. I, I don't have any gifts. And another quick timeout. That's not true, just so you know. Like there's some identity stuff you need to work through because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are gifted, my friends. You are gifted. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and there are things that you have that make you so unique and so different, and there are gifts that you have, and they're supposed to be used for the greater good of the church. You are gifted. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But then we could go into the character. Some of you are like, I'm not a great leader. I'm working. I know I've got some character things, and I'm trying to work on those character things, but I'm definitely not like Joseph in the Bible. That's not me. And, and here's the thing. Regardless of what your struggle may be, regardless of the liability that you think you have, every single one of us, we can be people of faith. All of us can be people of faith. But you know what I think? I think there's some faith shaming that happens. You know what I mean by that? Like, you know what body shaming is, right? Body shaming. You will never see me wear flip-flops, ever, and there's a reason, because I have turtle toes, like I really do. Like, I know this is way too much information, especially before lunch, but my, my middle toes, they, they don't just do this, but then they also do this, and so they're, they're, they're gross, like they're just disgusting, no one wants to see all that. That's why I wear my Crocs, like I cover them up, cover up those toes, I holster them, you know, I keep those toes, keep them all holstered, and the thing is, we all have that, right? We all have the thing where we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, if only I didn't have, whatever, so we do this body shaming thing. We do job shaming a little bit, don't we? Like, well, I'm not, it's not like I'm the CEO. It's not like I'm like the GM. I'm, I'm just uh, whatever it is that you do. And so you're kind of ashamed about it. I think, I think we do faith shaming a little bit too. I think that's why Monday gets there. And when Monday gets there, you're kind of one of those people that you're like, oh, what I do this weekend? You know, I mean, we went to a game and we you know, went to church and we, you know, and you just roll right over that. During the week, you know, we try not to say anything about going to group, you know, and because then you're afraid they're going to be like, group, what does that mean? Like, are you, do you have a a addictions? Like, what? you know, and you're like, no, 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 like group, like we go and we eat snacks, snacks are important and, and we read our Bible, you know, that's, that's what we do in group, but you're, you're afraid to do that. And I think so oftentimes we're afraid to do that because we look and we say, well, there's people who think and there's people of faith. 
And I'm ashamed because I don't feel like I can be both a person who thinks and a person of faith, which brings us to our third and final point. I'm so excited to share this one. The third point today is we reason by faith. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand. What I want you to do in your Bible, if you have a highlighter, highlight the word understand. Otherwise, underline it or circle it or draw an arrow to it. And I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. But it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. I think I love this because it says, the author says, the first thing you should do by faith, the first thing you should do by faith is you should think. Now, I've met so many people that say, well, pastor, it's what the Bible says, and so that's what I believe is true, and that's that. I mean, that's cool, I guess, but... We are told to be people who think. You see that word understand right there? The word understand, it literally means this in the, in the Greek. It means, to, it means to comprehend something based on careful thought. It means to, to think something over with care. It means to consider it. So to understand it means to think about it, to consider it, to get your hands around it. In our last sermon series, we did the Sermon on the Mount do you remember that? Jesus sat down on a hillside with his disciples, and he said, if you want to follow me, this is what it means. Well, Matthew chapter 6, during that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus realizes sometimes we freak out a little bit, church. We get nervous. We worry just a little bit, don't we? Like we get stressed and we worry about things. We get anxious about things. Jesus knew that was going to happen. So in his very first teaching with, this, with the disciples, he said, do not be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow, right? Matthew 6, 25. Here's what he says. He says, when you get worried, when your faith gets shaky, here's what I want you to do. Consider. That's the word he used. Consider. I want you to think about. I want you to understand. I want you to wrap your hands around the lilies of the field. Look how God clothes them. And then Jesus said, consider. He says it again a second time. Consider the birds of the air. Look how God feeds them. So Jesus says, listen, the more you think, the more your faith is going to grow. Do you see that? The more you think, the more your faith is supposed to grow. And yet that's where we're going to go. Well, now hold on a second. I know people with initials, you know, MD, PhD, all those other initials after their name, which must mean that they're really smart, right? All those initial people. I know initial people who who don't believe in Jesus. They're smart. They don't believe in Jesus. Pastor, how is that? How is it that they don't believe in Jesus? And I'm actually pretty passionate about this topic. I think there's a lot of reasons. And I'd love to sit at coffee and talk about this one. But I, I think sometimes something happens that they can't explain. Someone dies, and so they're angry at God, and so it happens. And I think sometimes there's a question that they can't resolve in their mind and they want to understand everything about everything, including about God. And when you can't answer that question, it's, here's what happens. They take the door to their heart and their mind and they shut the door. And they say, I'm not going to consider that anymore. I'm not going to consider the things of God anymore. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're one of those people who you've said, yeah, I don't really want to consider. In fact, I'm going to have some stock answers so if someone brings up something about Jesus, I've just got these responses I'm going to fire back because once upon a time I thought about it, and this will hush them up, and then I don't have to think about it because like, I'll say these things, and they won't have an answer, and so that'll end the conversation. 
I, I just want to challenge you to do this. Will you just crack that door open just a little bit? Will, will you just consider this morning? Just, just think about it. Again, go back. Let's look at what verse 3 said. It said, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So we know how knowledge advances, right? Knowledge advances because someone is curious. Someone is, is a student of the world around them. And so they say, here's a hypothesis or here's a theory. And it's always taken in the context of the world as we know it. And they say, I'm going to test that hypothesis or that theory. And then based on the evidence I can collect, I'm going to say, that's what I believe is true. And it's going to advance us forward in knowledge. Right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, that, that's how it works. Take Copernicus. Copernicus came at a time when the belief was that the earth was the center of the whole universe. The earth was the center of everything. And Copernicus came along and he said, yeah, I don't think so. Guys, here's my, here's my theory. The sun is the center of the whole universe. Now, today, we know that's not right. Like, that's not right at all. It's more right than what we used to believe, right? It was closer to truth. The sun is the center of the solar system, but not the center of the universe, right? And so you're giving a more complete, a more better answer. And so when it comes to the creation of the universe, you guys already know there's two thoughts at play. Thought number one, theory number one, is the natural world meaning everything that you can see, mountains, waterfalls, trees, bumblebees, like, like everything that we can see, all came because of chemicals, time, and chance, right? So what they would say is there's this, there's this pack of matter, right? There's all these chemicals, and then, it, and then we don't know where that came from, but we're not going to talk about that. But then it explodes. I'm not being mean, but this is it. Like, it, it explodes, and everything's propelling outwards, and somehow it just all sucks together, chemicals, time, and chance, and we suck together, and here we are. Like, that's, that's how it happened, chemicals, time, and chance. The second theory says that the natural world, everything we see, the bumblebees, the waterfalls, it all comes from the Word of God. God spoke things into existence. And so we had to figure out from evidence which is true. The Bible tells us faith is linked to thinking. And so if you're one of those people that you've just shut the door on the potential of the Word of God coming into play, then let me just chase one thing real fast, and we'll close this morning. Chemicals, time, and chance. Let's just talk about us, about people. Chemicals, time, and chance does not explain the ability of humans to reason, does it? Or have empathy, or forgive, or love. On Tuesday, Amy and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage this Tuesday, which is pretty awesome. And what that means, what that means is my wife has shown evidence through 25 years that humans can forgive and have grace <laughs> and uh, have a sense of humor. Like that's that's what it means, because if we were just a collection of chemicals working at certain times, and if love was just a feeling, then I, I'm just not convinced that 25 years of marriage could happen. Like if all we are is just a, a, an emotional mess of chemicals working, right? We know that people have the ability to love. 
We know because we, we can love our organization. We can love our, our teams. We can love our nation. We can love our church. People love so much. Not only would they be willing to kill for love, they're willing to die for love. When you look at the love of Christ, there's, there's no debating the love and compassion that we have. Chemicals, time, chance does not explain that. It doesn't explain forgiveness. It doesn't explain generosity. And so here, here's my hope today. My hope, if you're a student, if you're a mom, if you are a friend to someone, if you're a thinker, my hope is that you are highly encouraged today, that you don't look at thinking and faith as being separate, that you look at as one increases, the other should be increasing, that you are not only able to, but encouraged to be both. That'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? It'd be so much easier if the times when we struggle with faith, if God would just peel back the roof and say, hey, let's talk about this. Like, I've got some insight for you, something you need to know. Wouldn't that be easier? But isn't that exactly what God did when he sent Jesus? Isn't that why Jesus came? Isn't that why we have the word of God today? Keep your bulletin right there in Hebrews 11 because you're going to need to be there for the rest of the series. Flip back real fast to chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you something that's so encouraging. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, long ago, this is how the writer of Hebrews starts this whole conversation. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the writer says, okay, people struggled with faith before. And when people have struggled with faith before, God would send a prophet, kind of like a preacher, kind of, but different. Like God would send a prophet. Look at verse 2. But, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, here's something I want you to be aware of. Every single person in this room, at one time or another, we all have struggled with faith. So if you're here and you're struggling with faith today, you're not alone. I just want you to know that. That's why we need reminders, right? After the flood, God sent Noah a reminder, a reminder of the covenant that he had. The reminder was the rainbow. When I married Amy 25 years ago, I put a ring, well, she put the ring on my hand. I put a ring on her hand, and it was a reminder to each other, a reminder to ourselves, a reminder to everyone else. We have a covenant in our relationship, right? It's a reminder that that's there. Jesus knew that you and I would have times when we struggle with faith. So he gave us a visible sign of the covenant he has with us. That sign is communion. And so just picture it, the night before Jesus would be tried the night before he would be crucified, he brought the disciples together in the upper room, knowing that just hours from that moment, they would struggle with their faith in ways that they never had before. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you something to remember. So we're going to pass out the elements at this time. What I want you to do is I want you to take the bread. I want you to take the cup if you've never participated with us before uh, just know you don't have to be a member of Woodside Romeo to participate, but I ask that you be a Christian. As a follower of Jesus, the first thing I want you to do is examine your own heart. 
If there's any unconfessed sin that's there, just stop and deal with the Lord on that business before you go any further. But then I want to give you some space this morning. I just want to give you a moment just to stop and say, Lord, will you give me faith? I, I want faith to live out what your word has called me to. I want faith to pick up the banner and continue to advance it. And when the occasion is there and I'm in that moment, I want faith to continue to know that you're going to work together all things for good. Even those unseen things that maybe shake me just a little bit. Lord, will you give me faith to be that person of character I need to be? Lord, will you give me the faith to be that person who presses into the giftedness that you've given me? Not to run away from it, not be scared, not try to explain it away, but just rest in that place. Just take some space, take some time this morning to reflect on what it means to have biblical faith. Lord, we do thank you for today. We just pray for this moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. In Jesus' name we pray.